Hello and welcome to this, the movie segment of We're Drunk and We Know Things, recorded by Rob Dudley and Mike Dean in the Prince of Wales Tavern. The subject of today's movie segment is an undeniable classic. From the mind of one of the great directors of our time, starring a Hollywood A-lister during his rise to superstardom, with a supporting cast of some of the best talent to grace the screen, including a notable appearance by James Hong. This film explores complex concepts of reality, perception and what it means to be human. Delving into the multicultural Western-Asian crossover of the West Coast of the USA, and it's backed by one of the greatest synth soundtracks of all time. As if you haven't already worked it out yet, today's movie is Big Trouble in Little China. No, we're actually talking about Blade Runner. Of course we're actually talking about Blade Runner. Although, is is anything I just said untrue? No, you're absolutely nailed it, actually. He did my homework. Jimmy Hong is amazing in that, to be honest. He's amazing in everything. Uh, Can I just take a moment? If you haven't already, go and check out James Hong's IMDb profile. That guy is the definition of prolific. He's, he's mental. He's, he's, he's knocking yeah. out a movie actually, a month. I looked, I, it, I looked it up when, uh, when, when I was watching Blade Runner last, actually, and it is in the hundreds. It's just mental. It's insane. Okay, so not Big Trouble in Little China. We'll have to wait until the next cycle before we get to yeah, that, which is one of my favourites. It's definitely next um, But we are talking about Blade Runner. Which is my all-time favourite film of all time, except maybe North by Northwest, but we'll worry about that when we get to end. But yes, Blade Runner, uh, it just just the best. 1982, I was minus one years old. Uh, I actually only saw Blade Runner like four years ago, Ooh, five, six years ago. Uh, I was going through like a real film noir phase and a friend of ours uh, said, oh, you should watch this and sat me down after several bottles of wine and I've been slightly obsessed ever since, basically. It's just, it just is the best. It's uh, Harrison Ford just being Robert Mitchum. It's Sean Young being undeniably ridiculously hot before she went proper crazy. Uh, and just, yeah, the only thing that's missing really is Sean Connery. But it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's just the best. Okay, so um, let's assume that there are people out there, let's call them idiots, who yeah. haven't seen this film. Yeah. Um, Summarise the plot in 30 seconds. What's Blade Runner all about? A uh, retired cop has to hunt down four replicants, uh, which are like genetic uh, copies um, or slaves if you will of, of humans um, who have gone rogue uh, they 
have been outlawed. They set off worlds. They've been outlawed on Earth. They've come back to Earth for reasons yet unknown. He has to hunt them down. Turns out that they've got four-year lifespans and they want more life from Tyrell, who is the creator. And, uh, yes, hilarity ensues. One of the great slapstick comedies of our time, Blade Runner. Um, and yes, essentially, like you say, it's an exploration of what it means to be alive and what it means to be human and uh, has an amazing 80s soundtrack, essentially. And Rutger Hauer is just the best. And that, uh, for those of you who are keeping count at home, that's the first Rutger Hauer of the recording. Yeah, it's going to be a lot. <laughs> OK, so let's um, kind of explore a couple of... I mean, uh, this is clearly a film that I actually love. This is not sure. a film that I know nothing about. It's a film that you probably know more about by virtue of, of your... Obsession. Yes. Um, <laughs> let's uh, kind of take this from the top and start by um, like deconstructing settings. One of the first things that jumps out to me upon watching this is... You mentioned before film noir. Yeah. This is film noir. It's futuristic. There are yeah. flying cars. There are sure. uh, replicants. There's off references to off-world. We've clearly colonised the solar system. And yet, when Deckard walks into his police chief's office, yeah, it's, it's straight out of a 30s film noir setting. There's a filing cabinet, there's a fan in the fucking room. Yeah, yeah, it's like he's got, it's like the classic kind of Los Angelian, um, you're a maverick, damn it. I mean, he says at one point, I need that old magic, I need the Blade Runner. It's just, it's, you know, like, it's all the tropes. It's coming out of retirement, he's like, uh, he can't, he, I, I, Later on, when he when he kills one of the replicants, Zora, he like goes and buys a bottle of uh, bottle of Johnny Walker in that ridiculously styled bottle, and he can't deal with the pain. And it's just it, it's got the femme fatale, and you don't know whether to. It, it twists it a little bit in that you, it's not that you don't know whether to trust Rachel. It's more that she's a replicant, so you don't really know what to make of her. And then you've got the obviously the long-standing question of whether or not Deckard himself is a replicant tasked with hunting down the replicants. So it was, uh, as I say, it was filmed in 1982 in what was described by Harrison Ford as 50 days of rain and misery. Um, famously, him and Ridley Scott didn't get on. Um, they disagreed massively on whether or not he should be a replicant. Um, Harrison Ford said that the human, that the sorry, the audience needs a human to ground it in emotionally. And Ridley Scott said, well, that's the point, isn't it? That they can be grounded emo- emotionally in a replicant. Um, it's just sprawling just the setting the production it's Sid Mead who did all of the conceptual art um, who just it's it's just bananas like it's it's recognisably Los Angeles but it it's actually set in 2019 which seems impossible now because it's only two years from now but it's recognisably Los Angeles but it's just grimy and lived in and just feels it's just neon everywhere and darkness it's amazing I think again, it's a it's a telling homage to the film noir um, element. It's always raining in this movie, yeah, and it's absolutely. nearly always night, um, yeah. which seems a little. Yeah, I'm trying to think when it's daytime. Unlikely. Um, it's daytime in the happy ending, um, which we'll get into in a little bit when we go through the versions. But um, but no, otherwise it is just night the whole time. Actually, that is a good point. And I, I suppose the big takeaway for me is, uh, you know, again, I, I, you've probably worked this out uh, after just one episode of this, I'm a great fan of the opening scene. Sure. You know, the opening vista, um, and to be honest, I think it's, it's telling of a movie if the director understands enough to pay attention to setting that scene. I mean, and what him we have at the Noodle Bar is just incredible. I mean, that's such a perfect, like, character-setting moment. He just seems so world-weary and just... He's arguing with this. He wants two, and she says, "No, no, he wants four. And you, the uh, noodle seller is saying, "No, you're having two. And it's just. Uh, uh. And we still have no idea what he's buying. Um, 
I think you more actually the cityscape because what you then see is you've got obviously the um, wonderful flying flying car spinner. Yep. Yes, good work. Um, but this is all. Um, correct me if I'm wrong here. This is well. This is clearly pre CGI. So yeah. this was all composited model work, right? Yes, absolutely. And it sets up the most awe-inspiring vista. This city yeah, yeah. is huge. That first shot of the of the, the the cityscape, the tops of the rooftops with the Tyrell pyramids towering over it, um, the flames from what looks like an like oil rigs or something like like gas They're drilling like or something. Yeah, or yeah. some kind of really heavy um, industry. You know, and it's the it's the reflection of that pyramid in, in the eye. It's the reflection of the pyramid in the eye um, of of, Roy, of Roy's eye, as we find out later. Um, yeah, it's just it's like the definition of iconic. Um, and I think one of the one of the other telling techniques, and this is actually quite impressive um, because um, you kind of get this um, coming through a variety of movies of the period where they're trying to make predictions. Uh, advertising plays a massive part in Vega. Yeah, I mean, there's Pan Am, there's Coke, that enormous Coke sign. More, more interestingly, there is a complete lack of ability to guess which companies are still going to be around well, it's in the Blade 10 Runner years time. Curse, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the only company I think that's referenced in that film that is actually still a major player is mm. Coke. Yeah, they, they call it the Blade Runner curse, curse because Pan Am went out of, out of business. Coke had a serious trouble in the 80s when they released new Coke and nearly went out of business. Um, and yeah, it's... It's like you say. I mean, they've got they, Atari um, feature heavily. <laughs> yeah. Where are they now? Yeah. Um, and the entire final scene is actually filmed against the backdrop of a TDK logo. Yeah. yeah for is. those of you yeah. who are old enough to remember cassettes, they were a thing. <laughs> um, you know, TDK is a household name. Yeah. Was being the operative word. I don't think. I, I'm presumably they're still going, but I certainly haven't seen the TDK logo yes. in a shop. They just, for the best they just part make mini discs now. They just make mini discs. Well, that's that's future proofing <laughs> for you. Yeah. Mini discs aren't coming anywhere. But no, I mean they. It's it's a weird mix of technology as well because it does feel it feels like a thirties noir or something like that because at one point I think they have a reel to reel, but they've also got like genetically grown owls. So it's you know. Well, this they, is it. They've got flying cars, but yeah. the basis of the um, Voigtkamp machine that we'll come yeah, back yeah. to in a minute is a it's a set of bellows. <laughs> yeah, it's a camera. Well, look well, at the well, eye. Steampunk and hipster so points like, to the max. That's the thing, they never seem to nail down whether it's the answers to the questions or it is... I mean, Tyrell says at one point about capillary response, about, like... The so-called blush response. Yeah, the blush response. So it's like, the I guess, the widening of the iris or whatever. Um, But actually, it's, you know, let me tell you about my mother. It's... They tend to reveal themselves quite quickly as well. That seems to be the Voigtkamp test. It's just... I'm just going to keep winding you up until you show that you're actually a replicant. It's, uh, yeah. I think you do actually, you get the fail, because you get to see Rachel fail it. Uh, And you get to see what they're going for, which is Mm. a complete lack of ability to emotively respond. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so um, we're getting into um, vast quantities of detail here Mm. about the various uh, production elements. Let's let's pick up and run with a couple of the the core themes. Sure. Obviously, one of the biggest themes is examining... um, Humanity and yeah. the duality of existence, and what it means to be alive. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Well, there's a big there's a big focus on eyes and that, that being window to experience and kind of the not just an uh, an unreliable narrator in the terms of a film, but an unreliable narrator in terms of your own life. Like Rachel has implanted memories from Tyrell's niece, um, so literally her entire experience, everything she bases her life on is a lie that's been given to her, which is why it takes her a hundred questions to, you know, to get through the Voigtkampf test. Um, 
Which I always think, why does he keep going? If it takes 30 or so to prove they're replicant, why does he just keep going ad nauseum until he... As far as he's concerned, she's a human, so why does he keep going? But, but anyway, that's besides the point. But, um, but yeah, it's... it's um, that's why they collect the photos and things like that. They, they don't have the emotional... Tyrell says at one point, they don't have the emotional kind of background to have a, a maturity kind of thing, um, which is why Rachel is so hard to classified because she's been given that emotional background. And this is presumably in an attempt by Tyrell Corporation to fix some of the flaws that plague previous models and introduce yeah, more well-rounded... And they're emotionally unstable which is why they've, supposedly, why they've revolted. I mean, I think the, the bigger point is that Roy and Chris would say, and Leon would say that they've revolted because they're slaves. That's why they revolted. But Tyrell is trying to explain it all away by the fact that they haven't got the emotional capacity or the emotional maturity to be able to deal with their lot in life. So before we get on to a couple of the other points that I know you're dying to get on to, one of the big things for me, this is um, a film, yes, but based on a book sure, yeah, by um, an American science fiction author, Philip K. Dick, who's yeah. one of my favourite authors of all time yeah, this ever. Is my, my favorite, and yeah. I believe that in a moment of, of complete inversion, and you may be able to correct me here, this was pretty much the first major adaptation of one of his works. Uh, yeah. And it led rise to... Because Philip K. Dick has been feeding Hollywood ever since, right? Sure, um, yeah. Um, but actually, Blade Runner, or Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, yeah. the book on which it's based, was his last book. Okay. So the first Philip K. Dick adaptation based on his last book, and yeah, then yeah. obviously this went on to give us um, things like Paycheck, um, yeah. Total Recall, yeah, course, um, Man yeah. in the High Castle yeah. more recently. Minority uh, Report. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the list of stuff he's here based on, adapted from a novel by well, Philip K. Dick. Yeah. I mean, Philip, Philip K. Dick is, it can, without getting too douchey about it, he is arguably a philosopher, and, and as much as he is a science fiction writer, I mean, all of these things, like the stigmata of... Uh, the three stigmata of Palmer Eldritch and stuff like that they really focus on the nature of being and um, I mean he he did some major drugs in the 70s and went on a bajillion vision quest, quest and then wrote, wrote books about it um, I mean it's massively different from the book though I mean I, I've actually only read the book twice um, a very long time ago uh, when I started getting obsessed with the movie um, and if I'm honest it's the film yep you know I've not that I mean Harrison Ford said he couldn't get through the book uh, and, and so did Ridley Scott. I mean, it's so dense. It's it's he, he is not a writer to be taken lightly. It's not the same experience as you know. It's not he's not a bubblegum science fiction writer. No, and to be fair, it's not to say that Blade Runner is a movie that you can just you know drop on and do the ironing. Um, but it no, is absolutely. probably much more accessible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a big a big problem that a lot of people I've said well enthused in pubs about Blade Runner have gone and watched it is um, it's too slow, it's boring, it's too long. Um, but those people are idiots, so fuck them, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to you, Craig, honey. Okay, so uh, Blade Runner, a movie. There is a sequel due that we'll probably come on to in a, a, a sure. brief moment. Um, how many versions of Blade Runner are there, Mike? Uh, well, there's the work print, there's the domestic cut, there's the international cut, there's the director's cut, and there's the final cut. So there were five versions, Rob. Um, I don't have a favourite... Well, actually, I do. Final I do. cut, definitely. Final the cut. final cut, definitely. It's the it's like the anti George Lucas. It's like I'm going to go back and meddle in this film that everyone loves and make it better. And he does. He actually does. I think it's truer to his core vision. One thing I would say sure. before we get into this, and we're about to. Um, if you're wondering at home which one you should watch, it doesn't really matter. Make sure it's directors or final. Yeah, exactly. As long as it's got a unicorn in it, you're on the right track. Pretty much. 
So why have we got so many versions of Blade Runner? This isn't a Lucas, is it? This isn't um, no, Ridley Scott going back and adding stuff to to I don't know. No, not um, Family, yeah. yeah, to keep them all right. make them better for kids, or like Steven Spielberg going back to ET and taking all the guns out and putting walkie talkies in the hands and stuff. It's um, he, he made the work print, which is you know his, his cuts. Um, test audiences didn't like it, so the studio said, Oh, you it originally ended with them going into the um, elevator, the doors closing, and it finishing. That's the end of the film. Um, but studio studio test audiences decided that that wasn't good enough and wasn't happy enough. They wanted to know what happened to them. Um, so they tacked on the happy ending, which is them in the car, um, driving along the lovely... Suddenly it's daytime for the first time. Driving along the lovely and countryside. And not raining. Um, those shots from the helicopter are actually from The Shining. Um, he didn't have time or budget to film a helicopter shot flying through mountains so he said to Sandy Kubrick you know the beginning of The Shining where they're driving the mini uh, the Beetle um, have you got any extra footage and Stanley Kubrick said I'm Stanley Kubrick I've got like 17 hours of footage of that so that is actually footage from The Shining and then he says oh it's okay she doesn't have the four year lifespan we're totally going to bone and it'll be awesome and we'll live together forever have a little replicant baby yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's nonsense is what it is it's absolute nonsense so they added that on for the domestic cut then there was the international cut, which has just got more violence and a bit more bloody, essentially. Because heaven forbid that the Americans get the violent version of anything. No, indeed. Other than their own popular culture. No, indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you've got the uh, you've got the international cut, which is more violent. Then you've got the director's cut, which isn't actually um, edited by Ridley Scott; it's supervised by him. So that adds in the unicorn. Um, which is either a dream or a memory, presumably a memory. That's how I've always interpreted it. Um, I, I thought it was always a dream. Okay, sure. I, I, that's yeah, that makes if more only sense. because unicorns don't exist. We are also talking about a film where replicants are a thing, though. So you know, swings and roundabouts. I know um, the, the, the mass millionaire creator, billionaire creator, <laughs> replicant can he, just he about afford an owl. He absolutely. Do you have any idea how much you'd have to spring well, for a horny horse? Just a horse with a horny horse. Um, so yeah, so you have you have the uh, the international cut, the director's cut, which has got no voiceover. I mean, there's famously a voiceover that was added in after the work print version that they made Harrison Ford come back and record, which basically narrates the film and just kind of makes it slightly easier to understand um, for audiences who are blithering fucking idiots. Um, he hated doing it, which is why he sounds so bored. You could interpret that as him sounding world-weary and stuff, but he just sounds pissed off and bored to me. Well, no, because you've got on good evidence he has actually said that he hated doing it and yeah, absolutely. he attempted to record it so badly it was unusable. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and there, there are little di- different snippets of bits and pieces. There's a horrible bit in... Um, uh, I can't remember which cut now. I, I want to say the uh, international cut where he watches after the insane monologue of, of Ruka Hauer, the, the Tears in Rain monologue, there's a voiceover that says, I watched him die all night, it took ages or something. It's like, you can't have the most iconic, amazing monologue of all time. That's right, I'm putting it out there. Followed by Harrison Ford being like, fucking hate being in this film, man. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And in years and years and years and years and years and years and years, and years later, Ridley Scott comes back and does a final cut. 
um, which is definitely the best best version. I think, yeah, as we said. And this is all of the footage in all of the order that he wanted it. This includes all of the violence from the uh, international version. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't include the nonsense that the studio made him put in that he didn't want to. So no voiceover. Yeah. We do have the unicorn remastered. It's the full version the of the full unicorn cut, as well. So yeah. 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 so and he's awake. Interestingly, in that, in the director's cut, in the director's cut, he's asleep. Um, and it's like you say it's a dream but in the final cut he sat at the piano with his eyes open thinking about the unicorn which is which is which very makes interesting it a daydream <laughs> alright anyway, to okay so um, um, <laughs> let's talk about box office week yes uh, so because yes. Uh, before you get on to what you're about to say um, Blade Runner fairly typical to be honest uh, not a massive box office success no um, didn't quite flop, but what have you, definitely owes more to its status um, as a cult movie to um, future watches, and probably the fact sure. that it, they just kept releasing new versions, yeah, um, yeah. or new cuts. Um, but yeah, so, box office week, um, you said it was 82? June 25th, 1982. June 25th, 1982. Why does that ring a bell? Now, this is, this is, uh, this is very, very, very amazing week of movies, actually. So, E.T. is number one, and it's been out for, like... Like two weeks, ET made three hundred and twenty-one million quid that year, which adjusted for inflation is like sixty-five bajillion gajillion dollars, from what I understand. If I'm doing the math right, it debuted at number two, uh, which is again no mean feat. It cost twenty-eight million to make, and it ended up making thirty-two million dollars. So it just about made its money back, which is, I think, is bananas. Really, you think how much? I mean, DVD sales, I guess, would put that into the quadrillions maybe I'm overstating things um, the third movie of that out for a month was Rocky 3 which went on to be the second highest grossing movie which one's Rocky 3? Mr. T oh, I don't hate Baboa I'm Peter the Fool it's the best it's the best uh, Ratha Khan had been out for two weeks so it's got big contenders I mean Ratha Khan is Ratha Khan we, we, we are definitely trying to sneak that in by the way when we get to S oh yeah absolutely um, although it's got some strong competition yeah, there's a lot of S's. Um, Annie had been out for 38 days. Which is weird. If you think that Annie came out in the same year as Blade Runner... I, I mean, Annie, it feels like it's a movie from the 60s or something. It's, it's... I think, perversely, actually, just speaking to um, longevity, I mean, obviously, mm. most of these great movies, sure. uh, a lot of them still stand up, but E.T. is pretty much held up as the absolute defining 80s film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, kids absolutely. on Bikes, it's been lifted by... Stranger um, Things. Stranger Things and 8... Eight, mi- uh, eight millimeter. Eight, it is eight, eight millimeter, right? Eight, mile, eight uh, millimeter, yeah. That would be an amazing version of eight mile, by the way. <laughs> Turns out Eminem. Which is put Eminem in a basket on front of my bike. Where are you that's going? Incredible. Going to a rap battle. That's incredible. Um, Slim, yeah. shady. <laughs> so good. E.T. quite obviously 80s. Wrath of Khan, whilst it is an amazing film, and I'm not going to get into this, just take my word for it, best Star Trek movie ever made. I cry um, every it single It is beautiful, time. but oh my god, it looks old. <laughs> yeah, oh um, no, definitely. It is, it is Super very, dated. very dated. Yeah, absolutely. Blade Runner still no. looks fresh as a daisy, yeah. with the exception of the appearance of an Atari logo that kids these days sure. just don't that, But that's the only thing that dates it, you're absolutely right. But it's it only like, dates it if you knew out? who Atari were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, um, um, it, the, the same day that Blade Runner actually came out, The Thing came out, um, and it obviously didn't just didn't make any money at all. Well, because it's... Which is just as good a film. Well, that's not true. But it's, it is amazing. It's not as good as Blade Runner. I'm being looked at like I've kicked a puppy. 
The thing is amazing, but it's not Blade Runner. We've got too too long to go before we can get into the thing. <laughs> um, maybe for, in fact, oh, we've got C next month, uh, boys and girls. Uh, perhaps a um, Carpenter week. <laughs> is that a G? Uh, Doesn't have to be the title. No, uh, we might make this up. But suffice to say, yes, the thing, come on, John Carpenter. No, um, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And I mean, that made no money. That debuted at number four. Um, and again, that's another movie. And that's another movie, actually, that, without getting too off topic, hasn't dated either. Just because it's so sparse. Uh, I don't know. The animatronics. Yeah, the, 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 uh, chess, little, the chess computer. A little is bit pretty, like yeah, yeah, that is pretty bad. Um, but yeah, so, so that week it made... Um, it made 32 over over the over well till now in fact so it did make back its money um, and people didn't really know what to make of it because it was came out in June which is typically blockbuster season um, it's got Harrison Ford in it who's like Indiana Jones and Han Solo I don't know if you know this but he was in Star Star Wars um, and it came out and it was just like miserable Han Solo in Rainy Town which is my novelization of the, of the film. Um, an unfair but accurate summary. Yeah, I think. but it, like you say, it hasn't dated. It's it's lasted, it's lasted for so long, um, and its legacy just doesn't stop. It doesn't stop contributing. You have so many, so many movies that wouldn't uh, wouldn't exist, or certainly the aesthetic of that movie wouldn't exist um, without this having been made. I mean, it's yeah. Okay, like what? Well, like uh, well, famously, uh, Chris, Christopher Nolan. Um, got everyone together before he made Batman Begins and got them to watch it and said this is what this is what Gotham's got to look like specifically the Narrows in Batman Begins his Gotham was modelled after Los Angeles in 2019 from Blade Runner a, a huge uh, event in television happened a good probably 10 years ago now which is worrying uh, when Battlestar Galactica started and, and came out that's basically Blade Runner the TV show they, they turned the Cylons into this kind of replicant force that, you know, whether, you know, they were looked down upon and whether they were as human and all of these things, all of science fiction since then has just been kind of overshadowed or just had it kind of standing behind it, I think. it's uh... Okay, so um, let's assume that I'm not an idiot and I love Blade Runner. Um, what else should I watch? Well, uh... Early Paul W.S. Anderson, so like um, Event Horizon is is super like again with Event Horizon. I'm just pushing this movie, man. It doesn't no. get enough love. No, are, you, are, enough you, love. are you on commission or something? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, now, uh, if you, I mean William Gibson supposedly was so inspired by it that he wrote uh, New Romancer, mm -hmm. which is actually a book, not a film. But you know, reading can be fun. Um, Ghost in the Shell. They've said time and time again that that exists solely because they have watched uh, Blade Runner uh, and I'm talking about the animated good version not the terrifying it might be good it won't be good it might, might be it right. won't be good it might be right and that's um, the first ghost in the show right <laughs> not the yeah. seven million additionals that terrifying. were then created um, and then David Peoples who wrote the movie wrote another movie with Kurt Russell with a lot of Kurt Russell today um, called Soldier have you ever seen this this is yeah. amazing the sideways yeah. sequel yeah, <laughs> um, where he's a genetically no, he's not. Sorry, he's a soldier, a normal soldier that's been conditioned from birth to be a super badass. I think he's been genetically conditioned. He may not sure. be genetically originated. And then he's being replaced by some genetically grown soldiers, and he's sent to a junk planet or something. Yeah, and there's a spinner in the background. So he can have a big old dust up. Or yeah, exactly. Do you know the other connection between soldier and Blade Runner? No. They both reference the Ten Houser Gate. 
Oh, do they really? They do. Okay. I haven't seen that in years. To go um, no, go back and watch it. Look out for it. And then you can just be like, <laughs> yes, I found it. It's there. Um, but yeah, so I can't remember the exact scene, but one of them references it as kind of a, a wormhole. Yeah, we've just come in from the Ten Houses Gate. And of okay. course, I've got to indulge you on this one. The Ten Houses Gate, ladies and gentlemen, uh, one of several uh, elements that are featured in probably one of the most iconic science fiction the most monologues ever recorded. It's the best thing. It's the best thing in the whole world. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Do you want to do it? He got no. I don't want to do it. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I really am. He got the. I'd only get it wrong, and that would be very embarrassing. He he got given the script, and it was talking about pollution work camps and standing on the back decks of ships and all sorts of things. And as Rutger Hauer said, he put a knife in it um, and just cut it down essentially to what is essentially about four or five lines. But it just perfectly sums the whole movie up. It's just so so perfect. Um, he releases the dove at the end and all that kind of stuff. It's a bit on the nose, but it's so, so good. And Harrison's Ford's reaction to it are just incredible. He just looks like bewildered and enlightened and probably reading too much into it. Rooker Howe's in the bike shorts. He's doing the wolf howl and stuff during the last scene. It's just sick. It's just so crazy. So, so good. So, so good. I've seen things. You people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Ten Houser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. And this is, to be honest, this is Shakespearean monologuing at its finest. It absolutely this is. is. Pure it, yeah, absolutely is. I mean, he actually, uh, the Townhouse Gate part wasn't in the script, so he actually came up with that. Um, it's meant to be a Wagner rest- uh, a Wagner restaurant, a Wagner reference um, to the. Yeah, I'd probably opera. eat at a Wagner restaurant. <laughs> I don't know. The food would arrive late and cold. Yeah, and the I think they don't serve certain types of people, which would be a little bit worrying. Um, <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, he... Oh, also, your meal takes seven years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 like I say, he put a knife in it, and he just like when I watch Blade Runner now. There are times when I just put it on just to get to the end so I can just watch him do that. It's just so... He is so perfect. I mean, Philip K. Dick said that Rutger Howard was exactly what he imagined in Ron. Um, it, it, there's just not a better way to end that film. That's why the happy ending and all that nonsense seems silly because the ending of that film is on the rooftop. Then he goes and gets Rachel. Cool, cool beans, no worries, brilliant. Actually don't care at that point. It's all about like Roy's kind of raging against the dying of the light kind of thing. It's... Uh, so yeah, so we um, have the sequel coming out in October this year, um, starring Ryan Gosling, who I've got a serious crush on at the moment. I watched The Nice Guys again last night. Um, what do I get the feeling that La La Land is about to make an appearance? It's so good. I hate musicals and I loved it. I loved it. Anyway, but we'll do that when we get to L. We're not doing uh, La La Land. We're definitely not. We're definitely not. Okay, so uh, yeah, sequel. Uh, yep. out. October. October. Yep. Um, and so far, all we've seen 
though the us mere mortals who aren't on the inner sanctum of you know the sure. club, um, is a single sting trailer. We know Harrison yeah. Ford's in it. Yeah. We know he's in a desert temple thing somewhere. Or some variety. <laughs> Ryan Gosling has somehow got Deckard's jacket from somewhere and is wearing it the whole time. And seems to be channeling um, Edward James Olamos a little bit. Yeah, There's an element yeah, of kind yeah. of, I've got a dirty fedora, yeah, not fedora. Yeah. Dennis, uh, Dennis Villeneuve is directing, who did such an insane, insane job with Arrival um, and Sicario. So, so good. Um, so, yeah, quietly optimistic, but also it's a sequel to Blade Runner. So. Can, I say, can I not ask the, the burning question? this film didn't need to be made no absolutely not are you not a little bit worried that they're going to fuck it all up by having to answer the question that has kept the fandoms warring yeah. is Deckard a replicant it's been left completely open at no point has anybody confirmed either way no no, um, has been. no. Ridley Scott says in Dark Days he definitely is and he's got the red shit in his eyes in that scene in the kitchen he turns around he's got the red he's got the red uh, the red shit you know the red eye things and Ridley Scott says in the documentary he's definitely a replicant but Harrison Ford disagrees, and Dennis Villeneuve can do whatever he likes. Actually, it's not confirmed in the film, certainly. So, True. Do whatever he so wants. okay, so we're about to get canon re-establishment potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, where's Rachel? Yeah, well, apparently Sean Young is in it, but she's certainly not in the um, the crazy cat lady in the, the trailer. Yeah, well, she's famously now very difficult to work with, so maybe it'll be a short flashback about oh, and she, the bitch is dead. Like, oh, buried her out back or something. I don't know, but. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's got good elements. It's got good people. Dave Batista's in it. Thespian. Um, you know, it, it's got good elements. That presupposes and it's got good that you did you don't remember that Derek Jacobi recorded the Iggle Piggle song for In the Night Garden. <laughs> Being a great thesp is no guarantee of quality work. Yeah, David Suchet is a good uh, good example of that as well. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's got it's got the makings of goodness, but. Get all those people to make an original film, I guess, and don't fuck with the legacy of Blade Runner. But it might be amazing, or it might be Prometheus, which I go back and forth on daily. So, you know, it's it's tough. It's good that Ridley Scott's not directing it, I must say, because I haven't had faith in him since Robin Hood. That's a lot of French! Uh, it's a, just a terrible film. Um, but we'll see, I guess. Um, but... I get super excited. I went to see Prometheus and was like, this is the best film I've ever seen! And then I got it on Blu-ray and watched it and was like, oh no, this is shit. This is really terrible. What the fuck? Ah, oh, duh. So, I guess we'll see. Totally hedge your So, in summary... It's the best film ever. You've been listening to We're Drunk and We Know Things with Rob Dudley and Mike Dean, produced by Bojangles McGillicuddy and sponsored by Doc Brown's Rusty Trombones. Recorded live in a tiny, tiny alleyway inside the Prince of Wales. Tune in next time when we talk about other cool shit.